thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Well, it really is good. I I know guest speakers always say that, don't they? They're always ecstatic to be wherever they're at. But the reality is I am. It's quite true because I've been coming to this church for about the last 270 years now. And um, it's just an absolute joy to be with you again, particularly following the last 18 months, two years of all that we have gone through. It's a joy to be sharing with you. And I want to talk today about when Jesus comes to town. Jesus comes to town. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 21. If you've got a Bible, it doesn't matter if you have or you haven't, but if you've got a Bible um, here in this auditorium, watching wherever you are online, great to be having you share with us as well. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21 and the first 11 verses, and I'm reading from the NIV, and uh, you follow along if you've got a Bible, whatever version you've got, and uh, if you've got the amplified version, uh, you can finish off tomorrow. That would be... That would be great. Matthew 21, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! For the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They call them red letter days, red letter days. These are the unforgettable days in our lives. Maybe there aren't so many of them, but they just really stand out for me the day that I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 17. That was a red letter day, someone not in any way raised in the Christian faith, thinking quite frankly that all Christians were barking mad. Uh, I used to go to the local Christian union at the school just to steal the biscuits and really had no interest in following Jesus. And then everything changed that day when I became a Christian. Another red letter day for me was my wedding day uh, in 1978. I don't know um, if you, any of you remember the 70s. It was uh, an era of amazing music and utterly horrifying fashions. It was like a fashion demon roamed the earth, <laughs> mugging everybody. We, we had lapels so wide, ladies and gentlemen, that if you were walking along and suddenly a gust of wind caught you, you'd end up in Botswana. You know, it was just, 
it was just remarkable. We, does anyone remember we had flared trousers back then? I mean, what were we thinking? We were staggering around mildly airsick on platform hills. It was disgusting. I had a, in my wedding photograph, I had a tie bigger than my head. It was really quite remarkable. And then back then, unlike the shrinking peninsula that I've got now, that's, you know, it used to be like Texas, now it's moving towards the Isle of Wight. You know, it's really increasingly shrinking. Back then, ladies and gentlemen, I used to, I used to have hair and I had it permed. <laughs> yeah, baby, uh, you know, and, and it would stick out like Florida, you know, and children and small animals would shelter beneath its shade. It was, it was utterly remarkable. And we got this wedding photograph in our, in our home and Kay looked beautiful, even in the flouncy 1970s dress that she was wearing. She looked beautiful and I looked like nerd of the century. It was disgusting. And people look at our wedding photograph and then they say to Kay, why? Why? What were you thinking? For some reason, she's still lost for words. I'm not sure what that is about. It was a red letter day. This day, this day described by Matthew in his gospel was a red letter day. And it's normally the day that we talk about on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. But hey, we can talk about it really whenever we like. It's a, it's a royal occasion and Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now you might think, what has all of that got to do with our current situation? Let's face it, these have been very, very difficult days that we've been living in. At a, at a trivial level, uh, at first it felt like a Bruce Willis disaster movie. But, but Bruce is not showing up in his slightly grubby t-shirt to rescue us from all that's been going on. At a trivial level, it felt like that. At a tragic level, I know fully, just in terms of being in connection ongoingly with Leon and Alison and this church, I know that for so many of us gathered, perhaps you online, it's been a really difficult time when we might be tempted to think, where is God in all of this, all of this lockdown and pain? And then I'm reminded that most of the Bible was written by people in lockdown for people in lockdown. Whether it's Israel locked down in captivity in Egypt, whether it's Joseph locked down in prison, whether it's Elijah trying to serve a nation locked down because of the hideous reign of King Ahab and, and Jezebel, one commentator describes her as the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. Whether it's, whether it's Daniel in exile in Babylon, whether it's Paul and Silas singing their hymns at midnight, whether it's Paul again locked down in house arrest in Rome for two years, whether it's the Apostle John on the prison island of Patmos, the Bible is filled with lockdown information. And that makes it sound rather sterile. Lockdown exhortation from people in lockdown for people in lockdown. And on this day, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the city was in lockdown. It was locked down by the Roman oppressors who had invaded. 
and who controlled everything. It was locked down by the tax collectors who were creating horrendous economic conditions for the people. It was locked down by the Pharisees, the religious barons, who had 631 rules about how to have a meal. And then Jesus rides into town. So what can we learn from this story as we share this next three and a half hours together? (laughs) Just kidding. Fear not, little flock. First of all, let's affirm the Lord of history and eternity. Let's affirm the Lord of history and eternity and live with a sense of destiny. You see, Matthew in his gospel wants to remind us that Jesus riding into town wasn't just a haphazard event. Matthew says this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. Matthew continually in his gospel wants to join the dots between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament fulfillment. He does it repeatedly, writing as he does for a mainly Jewish audience. And Matthew wants us to know that when Jesus rode into town, He was fulfilling a prophecy made in Zechariah chapter 9, 500 years earlier. I think it's really important, as some of us have battled health challenges and bereavement and concern about businesses and jobs, that we do not live in a puppet theater where God pulls all the strings. But you see, Matthew wants us to know that somehow over the top of all of it all, all of the chaos and the mess, that God's purposes ultimately will be fulfilled. That we are not abandoned. It is not as Bette Midler and Cliff Richard sang it. He is not watching us from a distance. He is not slightly to the left of Jupiter. If we believe that, then prayer becomes a long distance call. Hello? God? Anyone there? But no, he is among us and with us. And he is the Lord of history and eternity. Some years ago, I met um, Prince Philip. It was a life-changing encounter for him and uh, (laughs) just kidding Uh, I say some years ago it was a long time ago because I was 10 and um, I was at a youth club and Prince Philip was visiting and they said look he wants to see a youth club in action so whatever you're doing when he shows up carry on doing it and don't forget to bow and don't forget to call him your royal highness and then you can call him sir And don't use that toilet because it's especially been built and reserved for his royal highness. So we're all nervous. And also, we were really hoping he was going to go to the toilet just to get, you know, get value, really. You know, that that was the thought. So anyway, he walks in and I'm bouncing up and down on a trampoline. Just bouncing up and down. And to my horror, he walked straight across to me. And he looked up at me. Actually, he looked like this, like this. And... uh, you know what I learned, ladies and gentlemen? I learned it's really difficult to bow and bounce at the same time. I'm like... And he, he's like this. And he asked me a really intelligent, creative question. He said, do you like trampolining? 
I thought, what do you think I'm doing? You know, is, that, is that all you got? You know? And I said, yes, sir, forgot the Royal Highness bit, completely messed it up. And you said, good, and walked off. That was it. That was it. If you saw the funeral of Prince Philip, you will have noticed that they played the last post and the Valley. And everybody thought that was because he was a military man, he was in the Navy. A ministry colleague of mine, John Drain, he's a professor at Aberdeen University. I was chatting with him a couple of days after the funeral. John Drain is an advisor to the royal family. He helps the Queen with the speech every year. And he was at Balmoral a few years ago discussing the funeral arrangements for Prince Philip with Prince Philip. He talked about what he wanted. And Prince Philip said, I'm going to have the last post played and the Rivali. And he said, everybody will think it's because I'm military, but it's not. He said, I'm having the last post played because I will be dead. He said, but I'm having the Rivali played. It's the wake-up call because this speaks of the, the resurrection that we have in Christ described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then with a glint in his eye, familiar to Prince Philip, he leaned across the table and said, but only those who know their Bibles will get it. <laughs> Quite seriously, my brothers and sisters, dear friends, this is a time like never before for us to remember that Jesus is the Lord of history and he has beaten the power of death and hell. And he stands astride it all. And it's not all of his making because God's hobby is redeeming that which he is not the architect of. But let's affirm today as we've lifted up his name that he is bigger than life and death. And for some of us particularly, may there be gentle comfort in those words that don't, I know, send the pain packing. But he is the Lord of history and eternity. Secondly, this is a time to ask if we know the real Jesus. To ask if we know the real Jesus. Here's what happened. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What are they doing? Actually, they're totally lashing things up. I used to think that the Pharisees, those religious barons, were the ones who most got in Jesus' way. But I've come to the conclusion that the people who really caused Jesus trouble were the people, including his own disciples, who had false expectations of him. Expecting him to be a military messiah who would kick out those nasty Romans. An idea that prevailed among the disciples even after the resurrection. In the, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples are still saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when are you going to kick out the Romans? Maybe that's why Peter pulled out a sword in Gethsemane. Bless it. I feel bad for Peter. He lashes it up all the time, doesn't he? Can't even get the sword thing right. Cuts off a bloke's ear. It's a Monty Python miracle, isn't it? There's a fellow standing there with one ear and there's another ear on the ground and Jesus picks the ear up and slaps it on the bloke's head. You can imagine Jesus looking at Peter with a look that said, well, thank you very much for that 
helpful contribution to this moment. Why is Peter doing that? Well, it's probably because he thinks it's fighting time. Why are they cutting down the trees? 200 years earlier, 200 years earlier, before Jesus rode into town, a Greek ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem and he offered pig's flesh on the altar. He turned the temple cubicles into a brothel. And then a man called Judas Maccabeus rode into town as a rescuer. And on that day, 200 years earlier, they yelled, Hosanna, and they tore palm branches down. Why palm branches? Well, the palm was a national symbol for Israel. This was a nationalistic event. And then they're calling him the son of David. They want him to be the new warrior like David. Jerusalem was David's capital city. And then... There's even greater confusion because he comes down from the Mount of Olives in fulfillment of Zechariah 14. So here's what's happening. Here comes Jesus, break down the trees, and they totally misunderstood what he was doing. Tom Wright says the people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's judgment. And they wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation by the rich. They'd got Jesus wrong. Here's the question I'm asking myself. Have I got Jesus wrong? And how about you? And here's the answer. The answer is for all of us, yes, we probably have. Because you see, we do have the revelation that's in God's word, but our perception of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is a patchwork quilt. It's made up from our understanding of the Bible and our listening to 3,000 sermons and 20,000 worship songs and 14,000 conversations and our experience and our journey. It's a patchwork quilt. And that patchwork quilt creates for us a perception of Jesus. And the danger is we can create a Jesus that we like, the God of my preferences, the God who likes the worship songs that I like, the side of him that I like, the God who is like me, the God who supports my cause, the Jesus I can understand, the Jesus who's the first responder, the Jesus who always says yes. Anyone remember those bobbly head nodding, nodding dogs. Do you remember those nodding dog things we had in the backs of our cars? Some of you looking at me completely mystified. It's a piece of spectacular technology. You'd have this dog in the back of your car, not a real dog, a plastic one, and it had a nodding head. And as you went around the corner, it would nod at people. It was fabulously creative. And I, I'm wondering whether sometimes we can develop a Jesus who he always says, yes, sure, go on then, whatever. Or a Jesus, if you've been raised in a legalistic background, who always says no. A Jesus who's a bit of a misery. I still encounter Christians who are kind of miserable for Jesus. I've been to churches like that. Fun is out, Lord. I went to one of those. I normally get to go there once. 
I went to one of those churches, chap came up to me and said, we don't have fun here. We have joy. I was reminded of that song. Do you remember that song? I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And everyone looked at us and went, where? Down in my heart, where? It was so, with this chap, it was so deep, 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 deep. You'd have to have a nuclear explosion to get that out. That Jesus is always frowning. It's been said that God made humanity in his image and ever since humanity has been trying to return the favor. Why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to show us afresh the real Jesus? And some of us in this last 18 months have navigated the pathway of disillusionment. Do you know, I think it's important to allow ourselves to go through the phase to allow Jesus to disappoint us. You say, what? Jesus continually disappointed people, his disciples, the Pharisees. All kinds of people he disappointed. You see, disillusionment, when you're disillusioned about something, you're divested of an illusion and you embrace a truth. And we all need to have healthy disillusionment. Need to be, those of us who are married, we need to be disillusioned about marriage. Before you get married, it's all romantic, isn't it? You notice those Hollywood movies, no one ever snores. Do they? They never drool on the pillow. And when they wake up in the morning, the gorgeous couple, what's the first thing they do? They kiss. Yuck. There's none of that morning breath that would knock you off your feet at 500 yards. It's all an illusion. And then you get married. And you embrace the reality. And that's when the real love kicks in. We need to be disillusioned about church. Church is not always going to be what we want it to be. It's not a consumer product. I know I've said this here before in previous visits. I mean, if we were consumer-driven, we'd have, we'd have greeters at the door, and they would say, and we do have greeters at the door welcoming us, and that's lovely. But, you know, as you come in, people could say, well, where would you like to sit today? Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping? <laughs> oh, I've had a bit of a rough week. Can I... Can I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-singing, non-giving in the offering, non-listening to the sermon, non-participating in any way whatsoever? Can I sit there? Oh, I'm very sorry that section's always very full. I'm afraid we <laughs> could possibly. I'm kidding. Have we gone through the phase where at a trivial or even a tragic level we're disappointed, but we're still following. Thirdly, let's know that Jesus comes to stir us and not just to comfort us. We read the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And when it says stirred, that's a rather mild English translation. We're so good at understating things. It's like Jezebel, that horrible queen in the Old Testament. The New Bible Dictionary, the, art, the article written by a British chap, says, and Jezebel was a forceful and domineering personality. It's like classic understatement. And when it says stirred here, the word includes the word seismic, earthquake. It's like, a, they're not just like, ooh, ooh, Jesus is here. Oh, jolly good. 
There's uproar. Jesus does that. Jesus stirred things up even as a baby. How do you do that? When King Herod heard about Jesus, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And I believe that just as Jesus rode into town and everyone was stirred up, maybe this is a time when Jesus is stirring us afresh. Perhaps the new availability to him. Because you see, God will provoke us to offer ourselves to him. He won't force us. I love the story of Isaiah. You remember that story in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah's having a bit of crisis of naughtiness and God, said, God sends an angel with a barbecue coal to burn his face. Very helpful. And then God's got a job that he wants doing, so he drops a cosmic hint. Who will go? <laughs> There's only Isaiah there. Who will, go? Who will I send? And Isaiah says, oh, here I am, Lord. Send me. Is God stirring us afresh to fresh availability? Fourthly, this is a time to serve. Jesus comes in humility, not as a conquering king. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. He rides into town, not on a war horse of victory, but on a lowly beast of burden, because he's a servant. Serving is easy to talk about, isn't it? But it's difficult to actually live. Leon has talked about this trip that we're doing to Israel and Jordan. On one of our previous trips, we had some American friends come with us and we come back from Israel through London Heathrow. And then our UK group disperses and then the USA group fly back to the States. And Kay and I had got through customs control earlier ahead of the Americans. And so uh, we decided to offload everybody's bags from the baggage claim in uh, Terminal 5. They've all got bright yellow stickers, so we're offloading the bags, loading them on the trolleys, when suddenly this lady, who was not from our group, walked up to me, and she thought I was a porter working at Heathrow. So she said, you! That's my bag there, get it. I mean, no, please. I'm about to say, excuse me. But I thought, it's not worth it. And she looks a bit mean. I think she could take me out. So, <laughs> so uh, I'll just go, I'll go with the flow. So I, so I get her bag and I put it on the cart. And she said, not like that. Turn it around the other way. I'm like, sorry. So I turn her bag around the other way. And she said, another one's coming. I get that. Get that. So I, I got the bag and uh, I, I put it. No, other way round. And I'm like, everything in me. Have you ever seen that movie Alien? <laughs> Have you seen that? You know, you were flicking through looking for Christian TV. And <laughs> if you've seen Alien, you know, suddenly. And there's this alien inside me, you know, and I thought, do you know, just smile, smile. She didn't say thank you. Do you know what? Didn't even give me a tip. <laughs> and she rode off with my prayerful blessing 
I remember some words of a friend of mine who said, you can tell if you're a servant by the way people, by the way that you act when people treat you like one. I need to pause for a moment and say this. That doesn't mean we need to take abuse. And by the way, in Christian circles, there have been abusive situations between husband and wife with bruising comments laced with biblical references. I am not talking about putting up with that. But this is a time, perhaps, to allow our souls, I know you've been doing a, a series called Reset. This is a time, perhaps, to reset our servant availability. Because, ladies and gentlemen, our community needs us now like never before. For, for those of you joining online, it's, it's fantastic it's, that you're able to join us through that technology and it's brilliant isn't it you can turn on and if you're a bit bored you can pause it or you can turn it off or you can fast forward you know once it's gone out live and and you know I can see you there like so those Winnie those Winnie the Pooh pajamas you're wearing that's quite remarkable fear not I can't actually see you but here's the point the point is we can become consumers rather than servants. Well, here's the last thing. And that is, this is a time to share the news about what it means to follow Christ. To share the news about what it means to follow Christ. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That day, ladies and gentlemen, Jerusalem asked, the most important question in the world. Who is this, this Jesus? I want to suggest to all of us that that question is the most important question in the universe because it answers a billion other questions. Here at Life Central, if I may join you for a moment, we're not about a bit of religion, a dab of religion for Sundays. We want to actively pursue a daily living relationship with Jesus. We have been wonderfully confronted with the question, have we not? Who is this Jesus? And our answer to that question has been a step of faith to follow him. It might be that watching online here in this auditorium, you're on a journey and thinking about all this faith stuff. And it is so, so great to have you joining us. Thank you for the honor that you're granting us. And there are people here I know who would love to help you with that journey without pressure. They're not weird for the most part. Just kidding. They're good people who love Jesus and would love to get you acquainted with him and surely this is also a time for us to talk about Jesus when I became a Christian I was a rabid evangelist you wouldn't want to sit, sit next to me on a bus hello Jeff would you like a cheese sandwich no thank you I have the bread of life how about you it's utterly appalling and I was like really in your face. And then I, I heard a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, famous for chatting with squirrels. 
He said, allegedly, by all means, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words, except he didn't. It's a misquote. The misquotation of St. Francis has led thousands, maybe millions of people to think that we don't have to talk about Jesus anymore, just live the life, but that's not true. What St. Francis actually said was, if our walking does not match our talking, then it is in vain, and he would visit two or three villages a day to talk about Jesus. Perhaps this is a time for us to get our voices back. And perhaps this is a time as well, thinking about our walking, matching our talking. Perhaps this is an opportunity for us to be authentically countercultural and show kindness. Everyone's shouting at the moment. Everyone's pointing fingers. Years ago, Janet Street Porter described Britain as shouty Britain. We've lost the ability to debate and disagree. We shout in words of 140 characters or less. You get on Facebook. I love being able to be on Facebook. I like to see what other people are having for breakfast. And it's a great tool. But you get on Facebook and you say just about anything and 50 people are ready to jump in and start shouting and kicking and screaming. We flew over from Colorado just last Sunday night. Last weekend we decided to do something about this shouty stuff that's happening in America as well as here. We found out that in our community in the last few weeks, teachers have been yelled at. The head teacher of one of our schools pinned up against a wall by a parent. We heard about people who check, who serve as checkout assistants at the local supermarket. People yelling at them. We heard of people leaving restaurants without paying the bill because the service was slow because they can't get the staff because of all that's going on. There's a new pandemic of a lack of kindness. So what we did last week in uh, Timberline Church, we had cards made, packages of 10, and we gave them to our people. And the cards said things like, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Eight or nine different messages of encouragement. And we said to our people, when you see the police officer, when you see the traffic warden, when you see the teacher, the person checking you out at the supermarket, give them a card and a smile and let's have an epidemic of kindness. We had 37,000 cards go out last week all across our community. Wouldn't it be amazing, Life Central family, if however we do it, we could spread a virus of gentle, authentic, kindness this week and in the ongoing weeks. And then wouldn't it be amazing if that person who's so used to being yelled at, they're kind of going to work flinching, wondering what they're going to encounter that day. Wouldn't it be amazing if that person said, I wonder what that was about. 
And somehow, because of a work of the Holy Spirit, they figured out that it wasn't us just being nice, but it had something to do with the Jesus who is more than nice, he is wonderful. A calling to share the word, to live the word. A calling to say, Holy Spirit, show us the real Jesus. An invitation for us to reset serving hearts that we might impact a world that is desperately waiting. Let's pray together. Thank you for this story, Lord, of you riding into town, locked down Jerusalem. But the crowds got it wrong. We'd like to clearly understand more who you are. And we thank you for your word that reveals the truth about Christ. But wherever, because of our journey, because of upbringing, wherever and however we've got you wrong, would you give us a fresh revelation of Jesus? Where we've made you the one that always agrees with our preferences, break through that. Where we've got a Jesus who always agrees with us or a Jesus who always disagrees with us and frowns. Break through it, Holy Spirit. We pray at this time as we see you riding on a lowly animal as a servant, not a warrior. We thank you for the opportunities that there are to serve our community out there and through this church in many and different ways. Save us from being passive consumerist spectators. Reset our hearts to serve. And finally, Lord, where we've lost our voices, not only will you give us our voice back, but we pray for a beautiful spreading of kindness. And when we're tempted to be irritated and impatient, when we're tempted to not see that person who is serving us, would you give us eyes to see and a moment to authentically show your kindness. Any among us, Lord, on a journey looking for you, may it be that today our hearts are strangely warm to your love. Enable each one, we pray, to find help in the journey. Thank you for the possibility that there is in knowing you and being together. It's a beautiful name, Jesus. Show us afresh the glory 
of that name. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen.